Welcome to Thrive Church Podcast. Join Pastor Kevin Bordeaux as he explores the word giving insightful solutions for day-to-day challenges. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. He was hollering and ranting and raving and was arrested for that. The irony is that so many times as Christians, we often don't live up to our name either. We often lack the very things that are the defining marks as believers, which is peace, love, joy, those things that should be the fruit of the Spirit. And we're just like love all, peace, and bliss. We're, we're ranting and raving and, and not living out what we were, our name truly is as Christ followers. I want to speak to you this morning about living from a place of peace. Uh, does anybody need some more peace in their life? I could use some. If, if, if you didn't raise your hand, then either you were scared or lying. So if you're lying, we'll pray for you after service. Philippians 4, and we'll be in the whole chat, well actually the first nine verses today, but look at verse 4. I just want to just look at these two verses really quick. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. That means find your source of joy from God alone. No person, no thing. He says, again, I will say rejoice. And it's a command to you. And then verse 5 is important. Let your gentleness... That means peace flowing from you. Be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much today for just gathering together and worshiping you. God, I was just reminded during our worship set that you are all-powerful, that you are greater, that you are higher, that you're our healer. God, that you want to meet us where we're at. So God, I just pray today that you would help all of us be met where we're at, Lord. Um, Father, I pray for two families that that faced deaths this week in in their home. One tragically lost their son. And we just pray for the Shurens family. And we we pray peace over them, God, as they um, have to lay to rest their their son. We we ask you to be with them. And also for the Rice family of losing her father. And God, we, we do know that in all situations, you can bring peace. And so today, God, help us to find out how to live from a place of peace. Now, before we get into Philippians, you know what we've done every week, and some of you are going to check out on me because, you, you know, I do this every week, is that you've got to know the history of Philippi. It was a metropolitan city, a lot like New York or Los Angeles, right? And it was a huge city, and there were no Christians there in the first century. Not one Christ follower, not one church. And Paul, with a couple of guys, parachutes into Philippi, takes a boat there actually, and he sees a church launched in a matter of a week. You follow me here? Of people who never knew Jesus and now it's one of the strongest churches ever. It's the first church in Europe, Philippi was. And so Paul writes this letter to them while he's in prison. Because he's hearing about how they're growing in the Lord and how they're doing. And he really loves this church. Um, You even see some more mushiness come out of Paul's heart today. He's very mushy toward this church. He really loves this church. And he loves them because of what God did in their life. And we looked at Acts 16 our first week. You meet Lydia. Remember her? Fashion designer, seller of purple. She lived in Thyatira and Philippi, house in New York and L.A. She was a high roller. She led prayer. And so she, she gives her life to Christ. She says, Paul, you can use my house. Then they see the slave girl delivered, poverty-stricken girl delivered from a demonic spirit, right? See that going on. And then we see the jailer, indifferent government employee, him and his whole family get saved. And so you see this beautiful thing happening in the church at Philippi. And I say this every week for for this reason. 
Don't read the Bible like it's a Hallmark card or a Facebook post. There's a story that's happening that's bigger than what you're just reading that gives you insight to what is is really true in the scriptures there. Now last week, Paul was telling the the, the Philippians, be careful of Judaizers, right? Those people who who mix grace and law, which say you get saved by grace, but now you can make it to heaven if you're good enough. Nobody makes it to heaven because they're good enough. They make it to heaven because they trust in Christ as their Savior and imputed righteousness happens, right? So Paul is giving them the greatest uh, opposition to the gospel and to their growth is Judaizers. So he's talking about opposition from the outside. This week he goes back to the inside of the church. So this week he actually starts talking to them about problems in the church again. Now, there's never a problem at Thrive Church, so I'm very thankful for that. Um, this is probably about some other church, other situations, but we see here that there's some issues going on. And when you read the Bible, realize that Paul was not like in the spirit and just writing stuff. I was just writing, I was just writing. No, he was writing to people with real issues, with real problems, saying real things. He wasn't off with his eyes rolled in the back of his head, writing in the spirit. Just, just writing stuff out. That's how we read it sometimes, right? But real issues with real things. And this week, verses 2 through 9 of chapter 4, you're going to see Paul deal with a fight in the church at Philippi. There's two ladies who you never want to name your children after them. Eudoia and Syntychiki. Alright? The reason I know how to say these words is I had the Bible on tape when I first got saved. I listened to it over and over and over. And that's why I can pronounce all these names. But Eudoia and Syntychiki had some issues in the church at Philippi. There was conflict. There was conflict in the house of God. And let me just tell you, if you're new to Christ or maybe you're, you know, you've been hurt in church... There's no way to get around people and not get yourself rubbed the wrong way. It's impossible. Your only choice is to sit at home and watch that dude on TV holler at you and ask for your money. And then you say, I'm good as a believer. I'll just sit here and, and, and do that. But you will never experience God's best for you with that. There's always conflict. But what I want to talk to you about today is this. Even in that conflict, there's a place of peace that you can find. You can live at a place of peace. So what we're going to do is read these first nine verses. We're going to look at them and then we're going to break them down. I'm going to show you three steps of how to live from peace from what Paul's given us. Look at verse 1. He says, therefore. Now, now, now boys and girls, you know when, when Paul says therefore, what does he mean? What happened previously? Let's look at what's happening now. So he's encouraged them from last week. My beloved and longed for brethren. He loves these guys, don't he? My joy and my crown. I mean, Paul loves this church at Philippi. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. So that's, he's saying that to make sure that you rest on your righteousness in Christ. Now, now verses 2 through 9 deal with our church conflict today and how to solve it. He says, I implore Eudoia and I implore Syntychiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, at first glance, you got two women fighting in church. Now, I know that never happens in church. It's just first century. Women never fight in church, do they? Women never get along, you know, never not get along in church, right? And all the women are like, I'm going to kill you. I'm not coming back to your church ever again. 
And, but you're going to find out that these two aren't fighting each other. Actually, there is actually a church conflict that's bigger that you have to understand for the first century. And I urge you also, this is the church body, true companion, which means a fellow yoke worker. That means we're, we're, we're carrying yoke of oxen together as a church. That means I'm laboring with you and you're laboring with me. It's not like you come watch me each week and, and I watch you sit there sleep each week, right? That's not how it works. It's like we're working together. He says we're working together as, as a true companion. It means a fellow yoke worker. Very serious. Help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Again, there's key points. With Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are also in the book of life. He's saying we're all on the same team, guys. Stop fighting. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Find your source of joy from Jesus only. Nothing else. No people, no jobs from Jesus. And then verse 5 is a command. Let your gentleness be known to all men, for the Lord is at hand. You know what gentleness is? It's peace in action. If, if you have problems with outbursts of wrath and you're really angry and demonstrative in those things, um, which I really struggled with that um, before I got saved and years afterwards, that means you don't have a place of peace that you're living from. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Now look at verse 6, and you've got to read this in context. They're having problems in the church. He gives them a solution to the problem in the church. Be anxious for nothing, church at Philippi who's fighting, me included, inserted there, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then finally, brethren, he's not finished. This is very important. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure. You see a pattern developing here? Whatever things are lovely, again, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, say praiseworthy, meditate, think deeply on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. When you're facing conflict in your life, there's three ways to turn conflict into something positive. And we're all going to face it, right? Some of you came in today facing conflict in your life. Somebody spouted off at you this morning, right? It was probably your kid trying to get them ready for church. And they're like, I don't want to get ready for church, right? Or maybe you tried to, to drag your husband to church and he was like, I ain't going to church today. And you got in an argument. And what I'm saying is that we all face conflict. And we face it in church. We face it in life. And Paul gives us a great example of how to deal with that. So in your talk notes, write this down first. Your first point is this. How to find peace in every situation is turn conflict into cooperation. Turn conflict into cooperation. I want you to look at verses 1 through 5. Turn conflict into cooperation. Especially verse 2 I'm going to start with. Paul says, I implore Yodoya and Syntychiki. You never forget those names, will you? Not good names for your, for your, your children not to be born yet. Do not choose from this book. 
Right here. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Watch this. I urge you also, that's the church at Philippi and the leaders, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, and let your gentleness be known to all men, for the Lord is at hand. When you're reading this at first, you think maybe these two ladies got upset because they both bought potato casserole to the church picnic. And she's like, I signed up for potato casserole. Well, I signed up too. And why would she bring hers if I brought mine, right? That never happens in churches. I'm just giving an example. But what's happened in the early church in the first century is you had two groups of people. You had missionaries and stabilizers. Follow me here, okay? The missionaries were just traveling, sharing the gospel, living off nothing. Well, not really living off nothing. They were expecting the church to support them, right? Like we do today. And so you had this group of missionaries, Paul included, that just traveled and shared the gospel. But then you had the stabilizers who did not travel, who stayed at the church, stabilized the church, and funded the church. That's probably Lydia. The jailer didn't lose his job. He, you know, he probably stayed there working you know, for the government. And then you had the slave girl who probably you know, got a job too. And so you had these stabilizers and these missionaries, and Eudoia and Syntychiki were missionaries. That's what Paul called them, my fellow workers. They traveled around sharing the gospel, and what they wanted was this. We want you, church at Philippi, to give us money so we can travel and share the gospel. That's what they were mad about. And the church at Philippi is like, look, look, ladies, traveling friends for the shape you're in, let, let me just share with you. We're trying to keep the church stable. I'm glad you had this dream to go travel, but we're not giving you any money. And Paul, being a missionary on that part of the group, is speaking to the stabilizer saying, you need to help these ladies. They work with me, they work with Clement, they traveled, they shared the gospel. We need to support them. And so Paul is trying to turn the conflict into cooperation. He says, their names are in the book of life. I know you're treating them like an enemy, but they're not your enemy. They're your, your fellow workers in the gospel. How many times in churches, and this has been a great church conflict series, have we been like that in churches? Because somebody wants the carpet one color, and somebody wants it another color, and somebody wants this going on, we become at odds. Thank God that doesn't happen here. Because either you got to leave or I got to leave. I, I ain't got time for it. Amen? Amen. Fussing and arguing, and, and, and they're, they're at odds with each other, and they're enemies with each other. They're, they're not talking to each other. They're, they're, they're not going to, when they walk by each other, they're going to ignore each other in the church and conflict is high. Have you ever been in a church where there's been great conflict going on? You can cut it with a knife. I mean, you walk in and you sense something just ain't right here. And then you notice that there's like two groups not talking to each other. Um, where I came from is the contemporary group wasn't talking to the traditional group and traditional group wasn't talking to the contemporary group, right? You ever been there before? And then they had two church services, which is brilliant. Let's just really separate them and make them really mad at each other. Come on, help me out here, guys. You know, you know you've seen that. And so you have something of like that nature going on where they're, they're angry at each other. They're upset with each other. And Paul is trying to turn their conflict into cooperation. And friends, if you stay at a church long enough, you're going to face conflict on some level. And Paul gives us the first insight. Both groups are trying to do the will of God. Let's work together. That's why denominations, and we're like, well, I'm of this denomination, and I'm of that denomination, and we, we, we believe this, so that's our pen, and we believe that, so that's our pen. Let's just get over it. Let's just work together. 
In the long run, we're all going to the same heaven, right? So, so why have we made other denominations when, when you're a part of one, the enemy? Oh, you go to that, that denominational church, you can't find God there. You would never say that, but you believe that in your heart, don't you? And, and we even see that in church and in Christianity in America. So let me just say this real quick. As I was studying yesterday, it hit me. Yodoya and Syntyche had a calling from God, right? We all agree. You, you, you can help me out here. It's not multiple, it's just yes or no. Okay, true false. They had a calling from God. But the problem is this, and Paul did a great job, job diffusing the problem. They wanted their calling to be everybody else's calling and everybody else's problem. If God calls you to something, don't get mad because everybody doesn't support what God's called you to do. Okay? If God's called you and it's your calling to go to the homeless, then find some folks who have that same calling and let them go with you. But don't make everybody's, uh, your calling everybody else's problem. And they were mad because their calling was not being funded by the church. Don't make your calling everybody else's problem. If God calls you, do it. Friends, I, I, I'm a writer. I've wrote one book already that's published. I'm working on a second. Only thing I need is money. I'm not asking for an offering. Don't grab your wallets. That's my calling, but it's not your problem. Amen? I'm not asking you to try to do something that I'm called to do in my life. It's what God called me to do and he will provide in that. But Paul diffuses the conflict. They were not talking to each other. And I bet at the church picnic at Philippi they weren't talking to each other. I bet Yodoya and Syntyche and the missionaries on this side and the stabilizers on the other. And, and, and they probably were having imaginary conversations with each other, weren't they? Do you know it gets bad when you start doing that? When you're like driving, you're like, well, if I had them in front of me, I would do this and I would say this. And you're like talking to them, right? That's when conflict gets bad and you can see this stuff happening. And, and the message version says this, I urge Yodoya and Syntyche to iron out their differences with the other people and make up with them. God doesn't want his children holding grudges. If you want to hold grudges and you want to be miserable and be in conflict, just do this right here. Avoid dealing with issues. Talk about that person, but never talk to that person. Somebody said, amen. They, they, I'm getting some help today. I don't feel all alone up here. Also, assume you know all the facts and you're totally right. That's one way to do it. Um, this is a marriage conference if you've not found out yet. If you just apply this, you'll be okay. And then use a clinching Bible verse to cut it when you're arguing with somebody. Pull out the Bible and stab them in the heart with it. Be very defensive and attack the other person behind their back. Another way to make conflict escalate. And then view the conflict as a win-lose struggle. Fight to the death to win the argument and prove to everyone you're right. Never surrender. If you want conflict to escalate, do those things. But Paul is trying to get the church to turn, turn conflict into cooperation. And here's what I found out. I, there was a guy in college I really just didn't like and he didn't like me. Right? Thank God Facebook wasn't really prevalent then. I'd been in trouble. But he had theological points about things that he made that I didn't like and it was vice versa. You know, we're just things that we just, we really were opposite sides of the fence. And I didn't like the dude. I didn't talk to him at the picnic. I didn't sit beside him in class. And I sure didn't pray with him when it was time for prayer at, at Bible college. 
Well, God is so amazing and God is so good. In 2008, two years after I graduated, I was on staff at my home church in Clinton, North Carolina. And lo and behold, him and his wife come to be missionaries stationed at our church. And the pastor is like, hey, we got this, this group, these this, this people coming in. I was like, oh, that's excellent. And, and if you don't mind, um, Kevin, do you mind helping them and, and getting them set? Sure, I couldn't tell him. Oh, I don't, you know, I, I mean, how immature would that sound? Um, let me just say this, is that I, I ended up having dinner with him and his wife. I ended up getting the time to, to sit with them and found out that they were two of the most awesome people ever. They were launching out to, to go overseas, to, to really just, man, go to the nations. And we had about a three-hour dinner, and we became really good friends. And um, even this week, I just sent a message and encouraged him and his wife on the mission field. Um, and what I've realized is this. The people you're at odds with the most, God wants to use the most in your life. The people that, 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 that grade you and you don't get along with them and you're having imaginary conversations and you're, you're at opposite ends of the picnic and all that's going on, God wants to use those relationships for his glory. Let me tell you another quick story. When, when, Dayton Burt oversees Redemption Ministries. We're part of a network, a great group of churches. And Dayton called me when, when I was, when, right before I moved here and I talked to him. And we had a good conversation, and I'm here. So long story short, I'm here. It's great. But do you know my first conversation with Dayton? I really didn't like that guy. He offended me deeply. I was planning a church in South Florida. I was like, yeah, here's our, our model. Here's what we're doing. He's like, I don't see how that's going to work. But wow, dude, thank you. I really appreciate the encouragement. And then lo and behold, look what happens years later. God wants to use that for his purposes. So the people that you may be fighting with the most and you're arguing with the most, God may want to use. And Paul was urging them, be of one mind, man. Missionaries, stabilizers, get on the same page and stop arguing. Now look at uh, point two. Write in your notes this, a second point. We're going to keep reading here. Turn conflict into spiritual action. Not only cooperation, but spiritual action. And look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And let's call a timeout as you just looked at that ver those verses. Please hear me. Hear me once, listen to me twice. Those verses are not a hallmark card that Paul was in the spirit just writing. Now, was it inspired by the Holy Spirit? Yes, it sure was. I believe the Bible's infallible, perfect, great. He was trying to give them steps to get over conflict. He was trying to turn their conflict into spiritual action because they were so messed up by this conflict. Now, now watch what he says here. I'm going to break this down for you. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, that's your posture, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. They were having anxiety for two reasons. Watch this here. Number one, Yodoya and Satikiki were anxious because they were going out to the mission field with no money. That's a little scary, right? The church at Philippi was a little upset because... They were having to expend money they didn't have on stuff. Anxiety. But here's the second form of anxiety. When you're at odds with somebody, doesn't it bring anxiety to your heart? When you're really at odds and you're at conflict, you just think about it 24-7, don't you? You can't get it out of your mind. 
I mean, you're trying to read the Bible and you're having those conversations with that person. And so Paul, knowing that, gives them some steps to turn their conflict into spiritual action. Anxiety. Peace was gone. And Paul gives them a great layout there because conflict breeds anxiety. I like what he says here. In the the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That word guard there, it means to lock in a safe and shut and it cannot be touched. That means when, when you're going through conflict and you, and you begin to pray and seek God and don't let anxiety take over, you literally have this peace that cannot be touched. I, seriously, and some of you know that. When you're going through a situation and you've prayed and you saw God, did not understand how it's going to work out, you had this peace and your heart was literally guarded, safeguarded like in a safe there. Cannot be open, cannot be broken. And Paul says that's the key to conflict. I like what he says here. He did not say the situation would change. Hear me once, listen to me twice. He didn't say that if you pray, that everything around you is going to change. Those people, those knuckleheads are going to act right. Right? You got some knuckleheads in your life. He didn't say that that everything's going to get better. But what he did say is, when you pray in the middle of conflict, when people are acting like knuckleheads and you got, you know, things pressing on you, that if you will bring those requests to God and you'll go to him, he will protect that place of peace for you. And even though the situation may not change, if inside you got peace, sometimes it don't matter if it doesn't change because you have the peace of God that cannot be bought with a price. As I was studying yesterday and taking time and praying through this, I just got the the picture of, you remember when when the disciples were going through the storm? And Jesus said, I'm going to send you to the other side of the lake. Like, okay, Jesus, we're obedient. They get in the, in the boat and they're riding. Or they're, you know, they didn't have motors, sailboats. And, and they're going across. And a storm comes up. They were obedient. And they had consequences of obedience. And they got really scared, didn't they? They got really scared. And this is the, the time when Jesus was not in the boat. And Jesus comes walking to the boat. And they let Jesus in the boat. And the storm ceased. Sometimes, listen, you're going to go through conflict, guys. Every one of us are going to face storms that scare you, that you're worried. And when you face those storms, let Jesus in your boat, not the storm. See, a boat's fine. It can go through a storm as long as the storm doesn't get in the boat. It's fine. But if the the storm gets in the boat, guess what happens? It sinks. And as I was studying and meditating on that, and I don't have time to go through the whole passage, but Peter jumps out of the boat and runs to Jesus. Now, we love to talk about how great Peter was, and 11 stayed in the boat, he walked on water, and then then we have all these sermons we come out. Can I just say this, and I'm not here to preach every sermon you've ever heard on that. Could it have been that Peter was so scared of the storm that he jumped out of the boat prematurely? Jesus was coming to him. Don't, out of fear and anxiety, make stupid mistakes. Don't make any sudden moves. Peace will allow you to, don't make any sudden moves. No, don't send that person an email. Don't send a text message. Don't put the Facebook post. Just calm down and let the peace of God fill your heart first. Amen. Don't go try to step out to do something. Let Jesus in the boat. One of the things I've been sharing with pastors, and I get get to train a lot of pastors around this country, is this. You've got to lead from a place of peace. 
the most important aspect for any leader to sustain where they're at is lead from a place of peace. And you say, well, I'm not a pastor. That's fine. I got something for you. Some of your parents in here. Let the peace of God guard your heart and mind so you don't go off in those little knuckleheads. Right? You've got family members. You've got, you've, lead your life from, from a place of peace. When people talk about you, when they disagree with you, when things go wrong, you cannot let frustration and outbursts of wrath fill your life. Listen to me. You have to let the peace of God guard your heart and guard your mind. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense, though, does it? When people are mad with you and at odds with you, you should be fired up, shouldn't you? You should be angry. You should be tormented. But Paul says, let your gentleness be made known to all men. And when you have the peace of God, your gentleness comes out. Here's one thing that I've determined. Nobody else controls my emotions. I want you to love me for, smile at me just for a second, please. Because this may hurt just a little bit. I love y'all, okay? When you say... So-and-so made me angry. That's one of the, the highest forms of immaturity of anybody. Nobody can make you emotionally distraught. You choose to respond that way to that person. And what Paul is saying, when you allow the peace of God to cover you, they can't control your emotions. Think about it. That's what middle schoolers do, don't they? They come in, it's like, well, today at recess, you know, they all said that my shoes didn't look good and I'm just distraught and I'm, I don't want to do anything. And you just, you know, then you're trying to go buy a new pair of shoes for the kid and you're doing this and that. I mean, that's what happens. But as adults, we do that. And if you want your marriage to flourish, man, live in a place of peace because you're going to argue with your spouse, aren't you? My wife and I call them debates. They're just debates. We're just having a debate on something. But here's the key. Lead from a place of peace. When you find that place of peace, I'm telling you, your life will look different in every form. And the most intense form of anxiety, and you can say amen on this one, is not usually situational, it's relational. The highest form of anxiety you'll face doesn't come because I'm wondering how God's going to help me pay my bills this week. You're trusting God on that. Your anxiety comes because somebody defriended you and blocked you on Facebook and unfollowed you on Twitter. And now you're upset with that. And so you're all riled up. And Paul is speaking to a situation in a real church, in a real time. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. In what? In everything. In what? Everything. In everything. By prayer and stuff like that. What is everything? Everything. Sure, man, y'all are sharp. Y'all are sharp for a, a July Sunday morning. Here's your third and final point this morning. Not only do we turn conflict into cooperation and into spiritual action when you're facing, but then number three is this. Turn conflict out of your mind. Turn conflict out of your mind. Not into something, but out of something. And look at Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Beautiful verses of scripture, but divorced from this text. You don't really understand it. Why is he saying this? He says, finally, brethren. You know, it's the second time he said finally. It's like the preacher has five altar calls. Right? You ever been there? It's like there's five altar calls in the church. And uh, he, Paul's given five altar calls. Finally, brethren. And look at these scriptures here. Whatever things are true... Don't pay attention to lies. Whatever things are noble, what's being done good in the earth, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are, say, lovely. 
Whatever things are of good report. Don't listen to all the bad reports. Sometimes you got to turn the news stations off, man. Stop walking around with doomsday signs on. Lord, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, then Paul says meditate on these things. That means to deeply think. And listen to this. It means you think so deeply, you make a noise. So, hmm... That's, that's literally what that word means in the Greek. That means you, you're meditating on the good things that God's doing, the good things that's happening. You're like, hmm, hmm, God's really good. Meditate on these things, not what those knuckleheads are doing, missionaries and stabilizers are fighting. And then like this in verse 9, Paul puts it on him. Paul is that leader who leads. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul is saying the most important thing you can understand is turn conflict out of your mind. How do you get those, those thoughts out of your mind? By replacing them with other thoughts. You're not going to win that argument in your mind with that person they're not there. You know what? You may win it today, but tomorrow you're going to have the same argument over again. The only way to battle that, the only way to fix that, the only way to get over that is that you begin to replace those thoughts with lovely, good report, noble, just, praiseworthy things. You think on the good things that are going on. Paul is telling the Philippians, don't lose sight of the 1,000 things going right instead of the one thing that is going wrong. And friends, let me say this, you will drift in the area of your most dominant thought. Listen to me. If you cannot control your mind, your life will drift to what you think about. And Paul is saying, if you change what your mind is filled with, you'll change the direction of your life. If you're saying, I'm not happy, what do you think on all day? You can't think on the goodness of God and not be happy. You can't think on the good things that God's doing in the earth and not be happy by what's going on. And Paul's saying, change your thought pattern. If your mind is filled with conflict, you cannot lead from a place of peace. See, what, here's what America has done to us. America has turned us into a bunch of victims. That's just who you are and you can't change. You might as well just live with it. Fooey. That's what Paul's saying. You can. You can, you can change your thoughts. You, you, you are the master of your own mind. And you have the ability to change those. And when you change your thinking, your, your life will be different. Can I, can I just give you a practical point real quick? If you study the human brain, my wife's a physician assistant. You know where emotions come from? Chemicals your brain produces. So when you think about something and you get angry, there's actually chemicals running through your, you know, you, you got cortisol running through your, your veins ready to stomp somebody in the face because you're angry because you're thinking on those things. It's not rocket science. Paul is getting them to change the way that they think. And let me just say this. Don't miss the 1,000 things that God is doing around you because of one stupid thing going on. Guys, there's so much God is doing in the earth in a good way. So much even in America he's doing in a good way. There's so much in your life that he's doing in a good way. And the sad thing is we miss the 1,000 things that God's doing that's amazing because we choose to focus on the one thing that's going wrong. And I can tell a lot about you when I ask you how you're doing. If every time it's like, ah, uh, uh, yeah, 
Every time, I mean, there's some days you're going to have that, you better be honest with me, right? But if every time I told you, ah, uh, 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 yeah. there's people like that. Yeah. I mean, I mean they, they come in and you see it. It's like every week, it's like. I like the people who are like, man, whew, it's, been a, it's been crazy. God's still good. It's been, it's, been, it's been a crazy week. But you know what? In the middle of all that, I, I just thank God for all this. Listen to what you even say to others. Somebody ask you how you're doing. And you'll find out where your most dominant thoughts are at. Paul is trying to get them to think on the good things. One thing that we do at Thrive, we have our leadership or board meetings. I do not start with budget and management at our meetings. Why? Because you start with programming, budgets, and management, and, and the team will tell you. They'll get mad with me because we'll try. We'll, we'll go in that direction. We're, we're not talking about that yet. We're talking about vision. What's the vision of this church? Where are we going as a church? And then we talk about relationships. What is God doing in people at this church? Let's talk about 17 baptized. Let's talk about hundreds being saved, right? Let's talk about the good things that God's doing. Because when you get to all that other junk about programming and management, it doesn't seem that bad. You talk about the great things that God's doing. And that's what we do here. When we get to management, we're talking about, man, we've we got to work on this issue. We're not really angry because we're excited because we know the reason that we're doing it. We, we let the 1,000 to 1 principle rule our meetings. Paul is trying to get them to come to a place of cooperation. Man, stop fighting, knucklehead. Luckily, I don't have these two groups. I'm not preaching to two groups in this church. Trust me, if it's your first time, I'm not. We're just walking straight through the book of Philippians. I'm trying to be faithful to the text. But I believe all of us in here can gain and say, you know what? Especially if it's another believer, it's another Christian, we're fellow workers. I may not be their best friend. I may not like all their statuses on Facebook. I may not favor the retweets. But you know what? I, can, I, I know we're on the same path and the same purpose for the same God. We'll spend eternity together, so we might as well make these years that we have good. You seek to be a peacemaker. And anytime you seek to be a peacemaker, you leave from a place of peace. But anytime you're the one that's arguing and you're the one that's argumentative, you lose that peace. Let me close with this. This is my first and final closing. I'm like Paul. There was a, in the 4th century, there was a monk named Telemachus. And Telemachus, you know, gave his life to just serve God in silence, solitude, simplicity in the monastery. And one day, Telemachus felt, another name you don't want to give your kids, but uh, he felt that God was calling him to go to Rome. So he packed up his bags and went to Rome. Left, just followed God. And when he got there, he saw in, 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 the, in the stadium there, people were gathered. So he goes to look and see what's happening in the stadium. And as he looks, he notices that there are people killing each other in the stadium and people are cheering for it. Right? That, that, that really happened, guys. It's not like a movie that you got mad at and didn't want to watch. It really happened. And so they're killing each other. And Telemachus is so grieved that people would just kill each other for fun. He climbs the fence, just got to Rome, set his bags down, climbs the fence. He gets into the stadium between these people jousting each other and doing all that. I don't want to go rated R on you, but that's what's happening. He stands in the middle of them doing that. And he says, please, in the name of Christ, forbear. The term Christ's sake came from that. For Christ's sake, please stop. 
please forbear. And they jabbed him and went straight through him and he fell to his knees. The crowd began to cheer more and he silenced with his hand and said, please stop this in Christ's name. They began to pummel him to he died. And the last words he looked and said as he laid there was, please stop in Jesus' name. Please stop. And when they saw that, this is a true story, that whole stadium got silent. The gladiators dropped their sticks. They dropped their, their, their weapons. Everyone got silent. And everybody filed out of that stadium one by one in silence. And there's never been a gladiatorial match since then. He, what I'm saying is this. He gave himself up to solve the conflict. And if he had to sacrifice himself, that's okay. Because he solved something much greater than that. He was a peacemaker in the middle of conflict. So what I want to say to you guys today is be a peacemaker in the middle of conflict. Be that person that Paul could write to and say, man, will you work this out? Help, help, help the knuckleheads get along. Because every one of us today are facing conflict on some level, aren't you? Maybe you're wondering where resources are going to come from. I, God, you know, we need help. They were facing that. Be anxious for nothing. Maybe you and somebody else are at odds and you know that Jesus is killing you. It's eating you up that you're at odds and it's gone on this long. And the Lord is saying to you today, let's solve the conflict via telemachus. Sacrifice yourself for it. It's not worth it. They may not respond right. Don't go there thinking that you're going to be all loving. They're going to respond and you're going to ride off in the sunset. But you've got to do your due diligence what God's called you to do. Live at a place of peace. If you will bow your head and close your eyes again. That's just so you can focus on the Lord.